Happy Valentine's Day. I see many of you all valentined up, looking all valentiney. And I'll give the uh, best Valentine's uh, dress award of the day to Stephen Bass with his pink bow tie. Looking good. I know it's that time of year where you get a little bit down, perhaps, because you want spring to come and you look outside and you see that. But I just want you to focus for a minute and think, visualize in your mind, Billions and billions of mosquito larvae going to their death in that miserable cold. That's the bright side of things. I'm going to challenge you with some difficult questions here this morning to get things started. Question number one. Was it God's will that Adam and Eve would be evicted from the Garden of Eden? Oh, you're so quick to answer that. Was it not God's instruction that they be evicted from the Garden of Eden? Did he not direct that to occur? Are you telling me that he did something against his own will when he ordered them out of the Garden of Eden? Here's a question. Was it God's will that Joseph be abused by his brothers and then be sold into slavery? No, you're confident in that. But Joseph himself said, you intend, when he was talking to his brothers later, he said, you intended it for evil, but God intended this for good. So are you saying that God intended something that was against his will? Was it God's will that Moses would not enter the promised land? <clears throat> the nose have become a little quieter. <clears throat> It was certainly God's decision that Moses would not enter the promised land. Let's shift it around a little bit more. Was it God's will that the American Civil War would occur? Do you know that 2% of our population died in that war? 2% of America's population died in that war. Tens of thousands in a single day. Abraham Lincoln struggled with that issue. He struggled with understanding the will of God as he was in charge of the broken nation during that conflict. And this is a quote from Abraham Lincoln as he struggled with that. He said, The will of God prevails. In great contests, each party claims to act in accordance with the will of God. Both might be wrong. One of them, at least, is certainly wrong. God cannot be for and against the same thing at the same time. In the present civil war, it is quite possible that God's purpose is something different from the purpose of either party. And yet the human instrumentalities, working just as they do, are of the best adaption to affect his purpose. I'm almost ready to say that this is probably true, that God wills this contest, and he wills that it should not yet end. By his mere great power on the minds of the now contestants, he could have either saved or destroyed the union without human contest. And yet, the contest began, and having begun, 
He could give the final victory to either side any day. Yet the contest proceeds. You see him struggling. And so we frame the ageless dilemma that we all struggle with because we want to do the will of God. Yes? How many want to do the will of God? And we don't know what it is. In the Bible, they struggled with that very issue. In the Old Testament times, they cast lots to try to determine what God's will was about a particular issue or for a particular person. And uh, as I understand it, it has been told to me, I was not around in those days, but as I have been told, the way they usually cast lots in the Old Testament is they put colored pebbles into a jar, into a clay jar, and then they would, they would all be the same color except for one. And uh, so then they would draw out a pebble person by person and see who drew the lot that was the odd color. A little bit like that. And the person who drew that odd color was the one identified. It was considered to be the will of God that that person was identified. And that's what happened with Jonah. Remember when Jonah was on the ship and the ship was being tossed to and fro and they believed that they were going to perish. And they wanted to find out who the gods were angry with. And they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. At which point he confessed his sin and said, toss me over. You remember the story of the children of Israel. Shortly after they had uh, crossed the Jordan River, Moses had died back on the other side of Jordan. Joshua led the people through, and they had that great victory at Jericho. Great victory at Jericho. And then, in great confidence, they went on to the next city, Ai, and attacked it and got wiped out, driven back. They lost. And it was made known to Joshua that it was because someone amongst the children of Israel had taken of the accursed thing. They had gathered the the stuff that they weren't supposed to gather, the spoils from uh, Jericho, and uh, and God was holding it against them. And so they led the people, to find out who the guilty party was, they led them past uh, Joshua, and it doesn't say exactly that they cast lots, but I believe that is most consistent with what was going on in Bible times at that time. They probably were casting lots. They were pulling out the colored pebbles. And uh, they first went by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was selected. And then they took all the various family units, the, the, the tribes within Judah, the families, and they marched them by one at a time, pulled a pebble for each one, and the family of the Zarhites was chosen. And then they went through the family of the Zarhites, and they chose the household of Zabdi. And then they went through his household, the different generations, the people in his household, and his grandson, Achan was discovered, at which point he finally admitted he confessed his sin of what he had taken and buried in his tent. We know that story. And there was also a casting of lots when the children of Israel, after they had conquered these cities uh, and had driven out the people that they ultimately were going to drive out from this promised land, They were dividing up the land. Now, they had given out five of the allotments. Remember that there were two, well, two and a half on the other side of the Jordan River, but everybody else was getting their allotments over on the 
uh, on the east side of the Jordan River. And uh, there were still seven tribes that hadn't gotten their land yet. They hadn't figured out who was going to get what. And they were instructed to go out and survey the land and figure the lots out for themselves. God did not give them instructions saying, this tribe gets this and this tribe gets that and here are the boundaries. The men were just sent out and they plotted out the land for themselves. And then they came back, having plotted out the lands, having laid out the different lots, but not knowing who was going to get what. And then they drew lots to see who would get each of those lots. And so for the first time in the Bible, we see people casting lots of lots for lots, and Lot was not involved. Um, but you, you see that they were given discretion. There's an important lesson there for us. God wasn't directing every single element along the way. The men went out and drew their own lines. That was the discretion given to them. But they considered it needful to have the will of God decide who got what. So, lot casting is one of the ways that we read in the Bible that people were trying to understand the will of God. We certainly also remember the story of Gideon when he put out the fleece and uh, was doubtful after the first one, and so he put it out a second time and asked for the circumstances to be reversed, and of course they were. But probably the most often quoted verse that we find in the Bible that deals with the will of God, or that if somebody is talking about the will of God in their life, it's the verse that is most often quoted, and that's found in Jeremiah 29. Turn there with me. Let's read that together briefly. Jeremiah 29. I'm reading from the New King James, and I wish I wasn't, but I'll ask you what yours says. What is most often quoted is starting at verse 11. And in my version, the New King James, it says, For I know the thoughts, what does your Bible say? The plans. For I know the plans that I have toward you. In my Bible, I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And that verse is quoted uh, most often to say, that God has a very, very specific plan for your life. If you read before and after, you see very clearly that he's talking to the children of captivity. He's talking to the nation of Israel. He's not talking to Jeremiah specifically as a person. He's applying the message there to a people. Now, you can argue back and forth about whether you think that has personal application or not. Many times in the Bible, there are things that have dual application. But there is a point to be made. And that is that God does allow in our lives discretion. He doesn't direct every decision all the way through the day. He allows us to make decisions, and he uses our course, and he can direct our course, even allowing us that discretion. For example, we don't need to seek a sign from God whether or not we should get out of bed in the morning. God, if you want me to get out of bed this morning, let it be cold and windy. Or what to wear. 
or what to eat for breakfast. I know I'm making silly examples, but I'm making a point. We don't do that. We don't pray, God, tell me whether it should be granola or Cheerios. We don't pray whether or not we should go to work as a general rule or whether we should start the car or whether we should check the mail. We have discretion in our lives. But overall, our actions, our decisions should honor him and should be still consistent with his will for our lives. Even though we don't seek his specific will for each one of those individual decisions, overall, our lives, as we make these decisions through our lives, they should be made in a way that we believe are consistent with his will. But how do we do that? How do we know? How do we know? It goes back to what we started with. How do we know the will of God for our lives? How do we know what he wants us to do? Sometimes it seems very clear. Sometimes we pray and we struggle and we just can't seem to figure it out. Well, let me ask you this. On this Valentine's Day, those of you who have marital experience, how do you know what the will of your spouse is? How do you know if your... I'll talk to the men. Men, how would you know if your wife would like you to make supper? How would you know what to make for supper? How would you know if your wife wants you, if it would be consistent with her will, if you painted the bathroom? How would you know if it would be consistent with her will if you picked your dirty clothes up off the floor? Or you went golfing? Or you would run for public office? Or you would bring home a pet snake. Or buy a new car. Or offer a surprise. I mean, how do you know those things? We were celebrating Valentine's Day, some more, some less. But as you go out, if you'd buy a gift for Valentine's Day, how do you know what that person would appreciate? I told somebody yesterday, they were showing me these chocolate-covered strawberries. And I said to this person, my wife would kill me if I got that for her. I know that that is not, it would be contrary to her will. It's not what she wants. And I know that because I know my wife. In almost 30 years of marriage, I've gotten to know her. We have become close and I understand the things she likes, the things she dislikes, the things that she has uh, that are her strengths, the things that are her weaknesses. And so it's really all about relationship, is it not? If I want to do things that are consistent with my wife's will and not go contrary to her will and get her upset with me, I do that because I understand the relationship. I have worked the relationship. And it's the same with knowing God's will. Often when we are struggling to know God's will, it's because we're focusing too much on the will and not on God. We're focusing too much on trying to understand the thing that we're supposed to do, the decision, and not focusing on the relationship with the one that we really should be trying to please. The relationship takes time. The relationship takes communication. The relationship takes a sharing of experiences. The relationship takes study and attention. Paying attention, when you really intimately know someone, really intimately know someone, then you are much better attuned to what they want and what they like, what their will is. 
There's a story, and I'm, sh- I'm sure you've heard it many times, but it's worth retelling. Uh, I've heard it both ways. I've heard it told as a story of newlyweds, and I've heard it uh, told as a story of people who are on their 40th wedding anniversary. doesn't matter. Husband and wife. And uh, the wife is in silence tolerating a habit of the, of the husband's. Every time they have breakfast, they have a sandwich, they have toast, he gives her the heel of the bread. Not the other slices. He takes the other slices for himself. Always gives her the heel of the bread. There could be ten slices and one heel, and she would get the heel. He would always give her the heel. And she suffered in silence about that and didn't say anything and didn't say anything until finally one day, whether that was after 40 days or 40 years of marriage, I don't know. It doesn't matter for the purposes of the story. She says, why do you do that? He says, what, what, what? You always give me the heel. We can have a full loaf of bread. You still give me the heel. You go out of your way to give me the heel. You always take the good stuff. And his face went blank. And he said, Growing up, that we always thought that was the best piece. We fought for the heel. I was giving you the best part. A lack of communication and just understanding each other. The same is with knowing God's will. The relationship with God is like an antenna that you have. It is your antenna that absorbs the will of God, that absorbs understanding God. One Bible writer puts it this way. He says, as you study God's word and you spend time in prayer, your relationship with God grows and you begin to understand God's character better. And then you can be in the right place to hear God's instruction for other areas of your life. In addition to study and prayer, be willing to seek godly counsel from others, uh, a mentor, a pastor. If we're serious about following God's will, we have to recognize it's not about getting what we want. It's about doing what God asks. We must trust that he is faithful and good and that his will is what's best for us. Really easy words to say. Really easy words to say. All right, so let's take a case study. I'm borrowing this from a book that uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote. uh, a a, A book called Moses, A Man of Selfless Dedication. And he studies... Moses, in great detail, we would all agree that he was a great leader for the people of God. He was a great servant of God. But he had some issues. And one of the issues that Chuck Swindoll points out is that this was a man of sometimes uncontrolled rage. When he was going in before Pharaoh, saying, let my people go, and going back and forth with all of that, after one of them, the very last refusal, before the final plague, When Moses was in there, and you remember that it said, Moses says, you said well, because I'm not going to see your face again. It says that Moses left there in great anger. Now, God had already told him he was going to harden his heart. God told him what was going to happen. I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He's not going to let the people go. And yet Moses just goes into this rage. He leaves in this great fit of anger. And then, of course, we remember when he's up on the mountain and he comes down, he's got the Ten Commandments carved out. The stones have been carved out by God. The writing is in the, is, is the, is the fingerprint, is the, the, the writing with the finger of God. He's holding that precious document. And he comes down and he sees what the children of Israel are doing. And again, in his great anger, smashes the tablets. 
And then after he smashes the tablets, he goes down and he confronts the people and he takes that golden calf and he smashes it to bits. He says he turns it to dust and he threw the dust on the water. And you remember what he did after that? Drink it! Now you drink that water! And of course we remember when the children were murmuring, as they so often were, Oh, we should have stayed in, should have stayed in Egypt. We had, we had good food there. We had water there. And in anger, he hit that rock with his staff. And he stole from God the glory that should have been God's for miraculously making the water come from the rock. I mean, God still did that, but it appeared as if Moses, in his act, had brought forth the water. He took the glory that should have been God's there. So we see him struggling with this uncontrolled rage at times. Was it God's will that Moses not enter the promised land? It was God's decision. It certainly wasn't part of his larger plan, I don't think. But under the circumstances, Moses having used his discretion, God manages our discretion. Chuck Swindoll says this, talking about Moses, because here's a man who was doing the right thing. He did many great things for his God and yet isn't allowed to enter the promised land. If you aren't vigilant, if you aren't daily Humbling yourself before him, seeking his face, discerning his timing, operating under the Spirit's control. You may push and shove and force your way prematurely into that place where God wanted you. But not in his timing. You and I can become so dedicated to the will of God, we can be so driven by a false sense of purpose that we might inadvertently take matters into our own hands and leave God out of the loop. Does it make sense? We're so focused on doing the will of God that we forget God. Moses dedicated himself to the will of God, but not to the God whose will it was, Chuck Swindoll says. He gives an example. He says it's sort of like perhaps if you believe God wants you to get married, you're very convicted that God wants you to get married, but you take things into your own hands, that may not go so well sort of like Joshua and the children of Israel when the Gibeonites came to them. Remember when they disguised themselves as having come from a faraway country and they took that all into their own hands and made a decision without consulting God and that did not go so well for them. So how? what are the methods then? We understand that we need to be closer to God. We need to establish the relationship. If you're struggling trying to understand the will of God, try instead to understand God. Try instead. See that as a barometer that says, I need to draw closer to him and know him better. And knowing him better, I will be more influenced by his will. There are methods that people use for determining God's will. Some people will literally flip a coin. God, heads them going left, tails them going right. You decide, flip it in the air. Now, to answer this for me, can God work with that? Is God strong enough to answer prayer through a coin flip? I don't think that's his preferred method, but I know he can do it, and I'm sure he has. There is the putting out of a fleece. You hear people talk about that frequently, um, and I have good friends who, uh, who rely on that method on major uh, events. Um, there's a caution in that, though, and then, of course, putting out the fleece, you sort of you set up the parameters yourself, as Gideon did. And, uh, and you look for a sign and you pray about that. The problem with that or the concern with that, the caution, is that it's your construction. You control it. 
you, you create the parameters, you create the options, you create the, op- the outcomes. Just like flipping a coin, I know God can work with that, and you say, heads I go left, tails I go right. What if he wants you to go straight? Does the coin have to land on its side? And the same thing with putting out a fleece. The caution there is that we can be true controlling of that and trying to get our own way. And then, of course, there's Bible roulette. God, I don't know what I should do with my life. I'm looking at the next three years of my life. This is an important window in my life, and I want you to direct me. Three years. What do I do? God, let this be your will. Isaiah walked naked and barefoot three years. Well, that may not work so well. And there are people who apply uh, sometimes in trying to understand God's will. They look for meaning in dreams. And again, God can give you his will in a dream. God can give you his will if you open your up, up your Bible and point to a verse. God can give you his will if you flip a coin or if you put out a fleece. God's big enough to work through those human frailties in the ways that we, uh, uh, the inadequate ways sometimes that we approach him. He meets us where we are. But I think there are some better things that we can do. So Doug Batchelor has a book out called Determining the Will of God, really more of a booklet. It's not very large. And he goes through some points that I would like to borrow here that seem appropriate for the message. How do we determine the will of God? Number one, well, we have to be willing. We have to surrender. That's the first step, and that's the most important and often the most difficult. Because, again, it may not be that God wants us to go left or to go right. He wants us to go straight or perhaps stay right where we are. And we have to be humble enough, surrender ourselves enough to say, then that's where I need to be. Second step, this would not surprise anybody, we need to be guided by his word. That is part of understanding being intimate with the God whose will we want to do, reading his message to us, reading about him, reading his word. Number three, observe providence. God will often show you what he wants you to do through providential events that happen around you. So when you're seeking his will and you're praying about that, keep your eyes open. As in the case of the Apostle Paul, look for doors that open. Look for doors that close. You'll remember, if you read through Acts, he says sometimes, the Spirit led us, the Spirit led us. But he also says, the Spirit prevented us from going certain places. If God opens a door, that's an opportunity. If God closes a door, don't try to kick it down just because it's what you want to do. Some of us don't want to admit that doors can be closed. We are like Balaam beating on the donkey. And we don't realize there's an angel standing in the way for our own good. Observe providence. The next one he says is pray and fast. And all that is, is improving your radio reception. Improving your antenna. Glorify God and don't be selfish. Doug Batchelor says we need to listen to the still small voice. And he gives this story that uh, years ago as Arabs were going through the desert, they would cross these vast deserts. And if a sandstorm came up and obliterate everything, You know, after the sandstorm comes through, nothing looks the same. Can't see the tracks that you just made coming in. Can't see anything. Even the landscape looks different now. Hills have moved. 
And so you have no idea which way is which, which way you should go. So they would carry a dove with them. And uh, because of the dove's homing instincts, they could release the dove. It would circle a few times, and it would head for home, and they would know which direction to go. The Holy Spirit, of course, is compared to a dove in the Bible. And many times the, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul said that the Spirit instructed him to go somewhere and sometimes instructed him not to go somewhere. So be sensitive to that leading. Next one he says is to be patient. Oh, that's hard, isn't it? Be patient. We as Americans are not good at being patient. Be patient and faithful to where you are. Sometimes we become restless. We want to do just about anything but keep guessing at what we ought to do. We want to act sooner, not later, even though God may want us to wait. So perhaps you say, well, I've already been waiting so long. Doug Baxter says, be glad. You're better off waiting for God's will to have the right job or the right spouse or the right school or whatever than rushing ahead of God in your own timing and getting the wrong job or the wrong spouse or the wrong school. Then you would be miserable. You would be out of his will. If I can get a little bit personal here, and as I get personal, please don't think that I am trying to say my way is the way. I'm just telling you what some of my experiences are here. I have a lot to learn. Uh, years ago, a couple years ago, we found a piece of property up by Iola that I fell in love with. 16 acres uh, up near North Lake, and uh, I fell in love with it. We made an offer on it. We didn't come to terms. Uh, we went back and forth for a while, delayed, and ultimately I did not get the property, and it was sold to somebody else. We prayed about that a lot. We, Our prayer in regard to that was, God, if this was meant to be, if you want us to have this property, then let it happen. And if not then don't let it happen, and we'll be content with that. Again, that's really easy to say, isn't it? I can tell you I was not very content with that closed door. I was not very content because I wanted that property. I was very selfish about that. My wife said for the next year I lost the spark in my eye. I was just so dismal about that. But if any of you have talked to me over the last year, you know that we ended up with something much more magnificent as a piece of retreat property. And the spark's back. <laughs> you also may not know that uh, I have applied for nine police chief's jobs. I'm two for nine. That's not very good numbers. But in those, at least in most of those, um, and, and certainly in the more recent ones, my prayer has always been, God, if this is your will, if this is where you want me to go, open the doors. And if it isn't, then slam that door shut, and I'll be content with that. So I have applied at Clintonville, New London, Rhinelander, Mequon, Hartford, Watertown, Grand Chute, Fox Valley Metro, and Nina. And I wanted every one of those jobs. But one in particular, one in particular was quite intriguing to me, and that was Watertown. This goes back probably about seven years, seven years ago. Watertown is in Dodge County. Dodge County is where I grew up. Watertown is in Dodge County, which is where my parents live. Watertown has a Seventh-day Adventist church, which is the Seventh-day Adventist church that I grew up in. Watertown is in Dodge County, not far, just south of Juneau on Highway 26, which is where my sister lives and was running her own floral shop. Watertown had a lot of appeal to me. We went down, my wife and I went down to visit the town. We were in the application process there and toured around walking downtown. I don't know anybody. 
walking around downtown and someone honks the horn at us and starts waving and pulls over. It's a friend of ours from camp meeting that we know who lives in Watertown. And so we went into a downtown uh, health food shop and there was a guy who recognized me from when I was a kid in church. And it was one of those things where you just really feel it all the way along. God is making this happen. God is making this happen. God is making this happen. I am absolutely confident. I am absolutely sure. The door is opening. The door is opening. The door is opening, except the last door slammed shut. The very last door slammed shut. And I came in second. And I did not understand that. But I knew it was God's will. And that I was confident in. And as a result of that... um, not getting that job, I ended up in Nina. Now, there are times in my life, as I suppose there are times in your life, where things aren't going real well. And uh, you just get down for whatever things seem to be piling up on you and and, uh, different things happen in your life. Sometimes there's a series of things that come together. And, uh, and it just sort of overwhelms you and you feel really burdened. And, and there have been a couple of times over the past year, especially about a year ago, I was going through a hard time. And I remember coming home one night just crying um, from a bad experience at work. And I went to my drawer and I pulled out my letters. I have a few letters that are very meaningful to me. And uh, so in context, I would like to read some excerpts from one of those letters. Again, I'm two for nine on police chief jobs. The Watertown job seemed like the job. Everything seemed right about that. Everything was moving in the right direction, and the last door slammed shut, and I couldn't understand why. This is a letter from a retired Nina officer. Just reading a few excerpts. When you were named as being in the final three, I started praying that God would direct the powers that be to select you. I was praying for Watertown, and he was praying for me to come to Nina. I knew that Nina had never hired a chief from outside the department, but I also knew that we needed a fresh start. There were many who breathed a sigh of relief when you were announced as the next chief. It was definitely God's appointment. Knowing you, having you as my chief and as my friend, has been a real blessing. You should know that this letter is sincere because you're not my boss anymore. So there's no need for me to kiss any backside. I have the utmost respect for you. You're an officer and a gentleman, not to mention a wonderful father and husband, as well as a humble man of God. There's no doubt in my mind that you are exactly where God wants you to be for this season in your life. God certainly blessed my life by having you come in as my chief for the last three and a half years of my career. Sorry, that gets me a little moved. (sighs) But there I was praying my own selfish prayers to know God's will, and someone else needed me somewhere else, and God was listening to their prayer. And so I just throw that out to you as a challenge, that sometimes when things don't go, seem to be going your well, way, when God doesn't seem to be answering your prayers about his will in your life, maybe he really is. And maybe he's answering somebody else's prayers about your will, his will for you in their lives.
It's all about relationship. We need to know God so intimately, a different kind of Valentine, that we know him so well that we know what he wants. And if it doesn't seem to be, then we trust him. We step forward and trust that he will direct us. We don't stay immobile waiting for him to shove us from behind. We step forward in faith and ask for his guidance. And if we take a wrong step, ask him to redirect us. If we step through all the open doors and he slams the last one, then I guess it wasn't meant to be and I don't understand, but maybe I will somewhere down the road. It's about relationship. It's about being so close to our God. We know his wants. We know his will. We're comfortable with that. And when he says no, we understand that he has a different plan. And we surrender ourselves to that. Mighty God, forgive our weakness and our selfishness and our hard-headedness and our stubbornness. We say we want to do your will and we spend more time trying to accomplish your will than knowing you and listening to you speak to us. Today, help us to rededicate ourselves to that intimate relationship, to really focusing on just knowing our Lord and Savior and having a close and personal, trusting relationship. And then from that, to be more easily directed in our lives. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.